Hi. Hey, what's going on? Not much. Just building a resume. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, kind of sucks, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not fun to sit there and evaluate all your work and professional skills on one single sheet of paper. No, it's not, especially when I don't know how to talk about myself, so I don't know what skills I have. It's interesting you bring that up because today's show, I interview a matchmaker. And I think it's very hard for you to go on a dating app, not you specifically, but probably you, but anybody to go on a dating app and put your information there and try and sell yourself as a mate. So I wanted to ask you, how would you matchmake me? Who would you set me up with? Who would I set you up with? Yes. Well, okay. I would describe you as like a very tall, quirky, funny guy. And I would set you up with someone who can match your energy. You would need someone who understands your jokes and can like play the bits with you. Now, when you say understand my jokes, is that because I have a sophisticated sense of humor or that they are complicated? Neither. <laughs> okay, that was hurtful. <laughs> I never get your jokes. They always go right over my head because you're like too sarcastic. I don't know. It's not for me. You I'm and too I sarcastic. Would you say I'm I'm British? <laughs> Are you British? Maybe. Maybe. Is matchmaking me just an impossible task? No, I think it could happen. Oh wow! I was expecting a much meaner response. No, no. I mean, I I don't know. I think it could happen. It could happen, but it might not. All right, I'm gonna go start this show now. Okay. Hello and welcome to Leap of Faith, the show where we try to make sense out of love through taking risks and chances. My name is Dan Casarella, and when I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band. On today's show, how matchmakers find your love connection. Let me tell you about the time my sheer laziness brought two people together. It was March 24th, 2015, the spring semester of my senior year of college, and in five days I would turn 22. During that semester, between finishing my classes, looking for a job, and starting our university's first late-night TV show, I was hosting Whip Radio's The WeWo Show. To this day, I still don't know how to describe the show. Now, I usually say it was a college lifestyle morning zoo show that aired at 6 p.m. Fun fact, originally, The WeWo Show was a Latin music show. And if you've been with us over the last 40 episodes, you know that when I became host, they did not want my white bread ass doing anything with Latin music. As the semester started to wind down, I was running low on time and high on anxiety. That Tuesday, I had prepared nothing for the show. Usually, we did an hour of pop culture topics, relationship discussions, musical guests. One time, we played egg roulette. But today, I had egg on my face once again as I entered the studio with not a single topic. My co-hosts Jack, Aish, and Alyssa would have nothing to talk about. Thinking on my feet and delegating my problems to other people... When we started the show, I asked Jack to leave the studio and find people on campus to talk to. After a segment in which I talked about how I was wearing basketball shorts under my jeans, which was not great radio, Jack returned with three strangers, Mike, Liz, and Tina. As a side note, before we continue to talk about this episode, after this aired, I thought this was premier excellent radio. But in re-listening to this episode, I am clearly not the radio aficionado I thought I once was. When these three strangers entered the studio, I spent two full minutes asking these guests if they had washed their hair that day. 
After that riveting conversation, we moved on to a segment where we asked everyone the most creative way they had ever been asked out on a date. Tina, who washed her hair a few days ago, said she had never been asked out or even on a real date. After that topic, we went to a music break, and when we came back, this happened. Jack was telling a really cute story about like a date where he like wrote a note and asked the girl out, and she said yes, and it was great. We asked our friends here the most creative way they've ever been asked out, and Tina, what just happened? <laughs> so the guy that I'm currently um, hang out with a lot <laughs> uh, was uh, I told him to listen in on this radio, and he called me in the middle of. <laughs> the session um, and I didn't pick up because I didn't know if I could and I asked I texted him back and I said why did you just call me and he was like to ask you out on a date <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing so, I feel so happy right now you have no idea that's so exciting <laughs> so, look what that happened yes Riley I will go on the date with you <laughs> yeah. oh my god people are listening to the show <laughs> and in that moment I was a matchmaker I had brought these two people who were already interested in one another together. To this day, I have no idea what's since happened to Tina and Riley or my youthful enthusiasm, nor do I want to. In my head, they are still together, seven years strong, the gin and tonic of couples who got together because a weirdo invited them on an internet radio show. That was the last time I successfully played matchmaker, and that is a role that is very alluring. It's someone to find you someone to love, and that's beautiful. They take all the hard work out because you're too close to yourself to help yourself. But putting your love life in the hands of a stranger can be a huge risk. How can you trust that they'll find you the right person? I mean, not every successful matchmaker can be as lazy and uninspired as me in college. I wanted to learn how matchmakers find their clients their soulmates. So I talked to Talia Goldstein of 3-Day Rule, a matchmaking service she founded and grew into 10 cities about the matchmaking process and how to connect two people. Here's Talia. Talia, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, before you formed 3-Day Rule, you worked as a television producer giving dating advice and matching people together in your office. And when I read that, my first question was, how did you have the time to do that? <laughs> Interesting. I actually feel like there was plenty of time. I worked at True Hollywood Story mm -hmm. and there was a lot of cubicle time. So people would get up and take breaks and go on walks. And so I always had a group of people at my cubicle and asking for relationship advice and word got out and eventually I had a line of people. It was really, <laughs> I was, had my own little like, relationship shop at E and I had so much fun. I just started pairing people together, pairing mm -hmm. my friends with my coworkers and realized I had this hidden talent in matchmaking and so then I started hosting parties so I could bring everyone together outside of the office. And those took off. We started with about 30 people. And within a few months, we were hosting parties for 300 people and 600 people around these huge hotels in LA. So mm -hmm. I did that all while working for True Hollywood Story. I wish you worked at our studio. I, I could not find the time to, to sit down, let alone get people together. I think, um, yes, you you definitely had limited time. True Hollywood story, <laughs> it wasn't quite as intense. Yeah, we, we were pressed a little more from day to day. How did you go from, from someone who had a talent for setting people up and seeing different things inside of them to being a business owner? So before I left my job and started matchmaking full time, I wanted to see if people would pay me to do matchmaking. 
Mm-hmm. And so while I was working my day job at night, I would hit up the bars and clubs. And my very first client came from a bar. I saw this guy trying to pick up a girl. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, I can do that for you. If you pay me, I'll set you up. Mm-hmm. Bring me $250 cash tomorrow at Starbucks and we'll get started. And he did that. And so I had my very first client and I started pairing him up and it was going well. And from there, it really grew organically, word of mouth. I would set up a client successfully and they would tell their friends. And once I realized I could do this professionally and make a salary, I ended up leaving my job in television and starting the matchmaking company. And you went from being the sole matchmaker to how many cities are you now in? Now we have 12 cities and about 50 full-time matchmakers across the country. That is incredible, that growth. The term matchmaker gets thrown around a lot and tends to have a different definition depending on who you're talking to. What does a matchmaker do for a three-day rule client? We have a pretty holistic approach when we're working with our clients, so we do a lot. It's essentially like outsourcing your love life to an expert. Mm -hmm. So our clients get matchmaking. You know, We interview you and we find out what you're looking for, and then we interview all of your potential matches to see who could be the best fit. And then outside of the matchmaking, they also get a dating strategist. That person helps them dig deeper on anything that's coming up for them, as well as a photo shoot. So the three-day rule process is really holistic. And obviously, the idea is to pair you with the love of your life. But at Mm -hmm. the very least, you walk away a more confident dater. What is your success rate at three-day rule? And, And more broadly, how do you guys quantify success? So everyone views success a little bit differently. For some of our clients, it's marriage, some marriage and kids. Some people are coming to us fresh out of a divorce. so They haven't dated in 30 years, so it's just getting practice. And some people have very little dating experience, so success for them is gaining confidence in dating and learning about themselves. So it's different for everyone, but we definitely have tons of marriages and engagements and babies. And we're always hearing about couples that report back to us to let us know that they're still together. So it's such a rewarding job. And, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully we're able to pair people in happy, healthy relationships for life, but really they gain so much value even just through the process of working with us. That's fantastic. I have so many questions about that process itself, but I'm, I'm really curious as to how you find matchmakers themselves and what the job requirements are to become a matchmaker. Matchmaking is interesting because you can't look at a resume and tell if someone would be a great matchmaker. It's really all people skills, soft skills. So mm-hmm. most of our matchmakers were in a similar position that I was where they were matching their coworkers and their friends growing up and they just love love and love people and had a genuine interest in people and then realized it was a profession and came over to work with us. So often they are recruiters, they are teachers, therapists, like those the types of people who really enjoy people end up making really great matchmakers, mm-hmm. but it's all in the soft skills. It's are you intuitive? Do you genuinely care? Are you a great listener? Those are this. That's the skill set we look for. Mm-hmm. You guys can start a university and start hiring people from that. <laughs> we should. Three Day Rule Academy. How does working with a matchmaker differ from using dating apps? It's very different. So when mm-hmm. you're using an app, 
you're on your own and <laughs> you are basically deciding if this is your soulmate based on a handful of sentences and some photos. And people are very quick to judge. That's how the app dating works. I personally think people are swiping right past their soulmates online. It's just too hard to judge based on the information that you have. Mm -hmm. So matchmaking is outsourcing it to an expert. So the average online dater spends 12 hours a week online. So working Mm -hmm. with a matchmaker, you don't have to spend that amount of time, which is essentially like a part-time job. And the matchmaker takes over and learns about you, interviews all your matches. We're basically going on all your bad first dates for you, and we're just sending you over the best ones. And then I think actually the most valuable part of the service is the post-date feedback. So after you go on a date, we collect feedback from both sides. So we get to learn what our client is like on a date, and we will share the information because that is incredibly helpful. And then we get to learn how they felt about the match. So we know what to do next. Do we need to change up any criteria? Do we need to go on hold to focus on this one match? So the post-date feedback helps us to learn about our client and help them Mm -hmm. because everyone has blind spots and you don't get that information when you're online dating. And then also to help them figure out who they should be dating. Like a lot of our clients come to us with one set of criteria and the person that we match them with that they marry have a different set of criteria. And it's a journey to help them figure out. And so what we start with and what we end with is typically different. And we have to work with them to learn what is going to make a difference in 20 years for them. What should they be looking for? Yeah, I feel like people are often a bad judge of of what they want or they want something that isn't necessarily going to be compatible with them and a partner and you see people dating and people married and you go oh i would never naturally match them together oh it's kind of a bit odd of a pairing but it works because they have similar values or they have similar intentions or they just work well together exactly people are looking for what they want not what they need and a lot of time online they are swiping in what's familiar for them Mm-hmm. And familiar is not always what's best for them. The couples that we know, like a handful of couples that we matched successfully who told us they swiped left on the person that they married. So they make all these assumptions online. They see a profile and they're making very quick assumptions. And often those assumptions are wrong. So mm-hmm. just a quick example, we have this couple that we set up that they are now married, matched on OkCupid. She's a few years younger than he is. And they lived on opposite sides of town. And they both decided it wasn't a match. But actually, they were the perfect match. And there's another couple that we have. We paired them together. They are now married. She's a professor. And he told her after they got married that he swiped left on her on Bumble because he saw her profession and made all these assumptions about what she would be like. But then when Mm -hmm. we sent the bio and we told him all about her, he realized actually she's super cool and would be a really great match for him. And so they couldn't be happier. But that happens a lot of times, you know, you just don't know any better. And so you make assumptions online and those assumptions are wrong. In doing the research for this show, I was listening to an interview with Dr. Helen Fisher, who's a a love anthropologist. And she was saying, in regards to the apps, like people need to find a reason to swipe yes, to say yes, as opposed to a reason to deny people. Yes. When you think about it, it's crazy. You you are swiping left on someone in a second. <laughs> that person yeah. 
could have been the match for you. And in one second, you decided it, it, they weren't the perfect fit. We're throwing people away so quickly. Like they're disposable. But that's part of the illusion of online dating is there's always someone else. And so yeah. people are just extra picky because there's someone around the corner. I'm curious about this post-date feedback. What is an example of something that's common that people hear in their feedback? And how will your coaches work with them to rectify that? Yes. So we hear often that it felt like an interview, that people are mm -hmm. showing up to dates and they're asking what feels like interview questions. It's not as much as a dialogue. Or they might show up on the date and be guarded or something with their body language, like they're crossing their arms and they don't seem interested. A lot of times we're bridging the gap between two people who like each other and have no idea. You know, they're not expressing interest on the date. So anytime we get feedback that we feel can be helpful, we will share it with the client. And sometimes it stings, but it always resonates and they'll take the information into the next match. And like this is sort of kind of a silly example, but I think it's pretty interesting. We had this client that we were working with and he's like a big time celebrity. And mm -hmm. every time we were setting him up on a date, the women would come back and say, I really liked him. But at the end, it seemed like he wasn't interested in me. And he actually was. What we found out was that he was shaking their hands to say goodbye because he oh. thought he was being respectful and they felt like he wasn't interested. So it can be really tiny tweaks like that that end up making a huge difference. Yeah, and I feel like the biggest obstacle people have, whether they're using an app or a matchmaking service, is because you're on a date, whether it be dinner, drinks, a walk, activities, because you know you're both there for a romantic interest, the pressure is heightened and people are more nervous and it's harder for them to get out of their shells and into their comfort zones. What's something that you or one of your matchmakers would recommend for people to kind of help them get over that fear? Well, definitely practice helps. Like this is very much a skill you know, to come and be present and enjoy yourself. So get out there and go on dates. But I think it's helpful not to analyze the date when you're on the date, but just to be mm -hmm. present and try to enjoy yourself and then analyze the date after. And at that point, you can focus on how you felt around the person. One thing we noticed with our success stories is they often come back with the feedback this person felt like home. I felt comfortable around them. I was at ease. And you know that's a great sign. So mm -hmm. it's important to bring yourself, you know, not pretend to be someone that you think that other person will like. And just try to be present and enjoy the date, low pressure. And then if you found that person remotely attractive and you're interested in learning a little more about them, it's always worth a second date because exactly mm -hmm. what you said. People come to the dates nervous. They might be stressed from work. You don't get to see someone's full personality in one date. So if there's any curiosity, we always recommend a second date. And a lot of our couples weren't sure on that first, second, or even third date, but it took like four, five, six for them really to know that this was their long-term person. Yeah, for sure. I had an example. I recently went on a date with a woman who was a teacher. And it went, I would say, fine. But I found she was talking a lot about her students and work. And it, I felt like I wasn't able to really contribute to that conversation. And after the date, I went to my friend's house, who's also a teacher, and I was describing it like that and telling her that. And my friend said, you should give her another chance because teachers often, 
they are pent up with kids all day. And so they don't get to talk to adults about what they're going through. And I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll give it another date. And then I did, and we had a date and it was excellent and, and awesome. So it is really important if you feel a, a spark of potential there to move forward with it. Exactly. It's just, you can't get a full picture of someone, even my husband. I had always dated these sort of comedians prior to meeting my husband. And I went on a, a date or two with him. He wasn't that funny. And I was <laughs> not that interested, but he was kind. Mm-hmm. And I kept giving him another shot, another shot. And then actually something came up where he had to email me and his email was hilarious. And I realized that actually he had an amazing sense of humor, but it he was still warming up to me. And yeah. so I'm really glad that I I kept going out because you just don't know. So it's always worth at least a second date. For sure. So many people are using dating apps to find people. And I asked my followers on Instagram who they would trust more to find them a compatible date, a matchmaker or a dating app algorithm. And the results were that 67% of people said a matchmaker versus 33% saying an algorithm. And I asked those who said they'd prefer the algorithm why they felt that way because they were in the minority. Mm-hmm. Could I read you some of their responses and, and you can give their it. counterpoint? Okay, so here's the first one. This person said, I would say dating apps trust my intuition. I get to be the judge and field out red flags. Also, there are some weird things that are just non-negotiable for me. An example being someone who can't use the right version of their is automatically out. A matchmaker is using their judgment of me and another person, so I have to trust someone else's judgment instead of my own. So that is what happens on an app. Like you Mm -hmm. are using your judgment. So you're probably swiping on what's familiar to you. Like you think your person's coming in a certain package and you're trusting that. With a matchmaker, we find that often your person's coming in a different package. And so you do have to be willing to be open-minded when working with a matchmaker, but often we're right. So the algorithm on an app is going to give you what you're swiping on. So if you're swiping on the same thing over and over, that's what they're going to continue feeding you. And through a matchmaker, you might have to step outside your comfort zone a little bit. But Mm -hmm. the end game is that we know how to pair two people together based on core values and personality and so much more. For sure. This next person said, I think having a professional person helping me find a partner is a little desperate. It's actually exactly the opposite. So the people who typically come to us can get a date any night of the week. That's not what this is about. This is about finding them the highest quality matches. So mm-hmm. they can go on a, on an app and go on, you know, a hundred dates, but that's incredibly time consuming. And you show up to the dates. Sometimes they don't look like their pictures or sometimes you really don't align on the basics. So using a matchmaker saves you a ton of time and just gives you the highest quality matches. It's like hiring a realtor or mm-hmm. you know, a nutritionist, like any sort of expert that can save you time and energy. Yeah. It's someone who has a professional insight into this. Yeah, our clients are amazing. They're successful and interesting and attractive, and they'd rather spend their time doing other things and outsource to an expert. Yeah. This last one said, I think matchmakers do have a gift, but I think people are good at hiding who they are upon first and second impressions. Matchmakers need to be able to see through that. I definitely think that's part of our skill set is it's not necessarily what you tell us. There's so much more to it. So we're also... We're interviewing people for at least an hour. It's a very in-depth interview. We're asking all about 
your childhood and your parents' marriage and your goals for the future. And we get a ton of information. So what we're analyzing is what you say, also how you make us feel and your energy. And so there is a lot more to it. And the more we match you as clients, the more we get to know you. So we have our perspective, but then we also get the post-date feedback from your matches. So we get to learn what the matches feel around you as well. When you're evaluating and interviewing a client, what personality traits are you looking for? Or, or even more generally, what are you evaluating in someone else? We're just trying to set you up with who would be the best match for you. So it's listening to their backstory, their goals for the future, their core values. So that's what we're listening for. And then we're trying to find the matches that are the best fit. Part of what we do is we go through an exercise with them where we get to find out what their non-negotiables are and and we'll help them with that process because not everybody Mm -hmm. knows that coming into it. So we'll ask them everything they're looking for. And then we break down three must-haves, three deal breakers, and the rest fall into nice-to-haves. So all these interviews are, you know, it's a chance for us to learn about them and what they're looking for and then to know what we're going to be looking for in the potential partners. Going off of really trying to know someone and find someone, do you find through these conversations that someone may have a non-negotiable or a deal breaker or even a must have? And through these conversations, through this process, maybe what they believed isn't necessarily the truth or what is best for them. Definitely. A lot of people have limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. So for example, one of my first clients, I actually found her on Facebook. We do recruiting all the time and she was adorable. And I reached out to find out if she was single. And when I met with her, she said, my non-negotiables, I want someone Jewish and mm-hmm. I want someone not in the entertainment industry. And those were the non-negotiables. And through our work together, I paired her with her now husband, who is a Catholic film producer in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So the two non-negotiables that she had to start didn't end up being non-negotiables later. And you know that took some time to, to really figure out. So yes, I think some people come to us with non-negotiables that they believe, like, absolutely, I need someone X, Y, and Z. And over the time, they realize... That might have come from their parents or a Disney fairy tale. Like they have these this criteria that actually isn't meaningful for them. For sure. And people hold on to those beliefs, their their type, if you will, so strongly. How do you and your matchmakers open up people to these new ideas and these new perspectives of, well, maybe this type of person is good for you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we will match them twice at the same time. So we'll have two matches that we think could be a good fit. One is what the client is looking for. And one is a person that we think that they should give a chance to. And so we'll feed them exactly what they want. If you tell us this is your criteria, we will serve that criteria to you. But then Mm -hmm. we'll come across someone who we think is an amazing fit who's outside of the criteria. And we'll say like, as a bonus, you know, this doesn't have to count as one of your matches, but as a bonus, I think this guy or this girl is worth meeting. And usually it's that match that they get most excited about after the date. So when they go on the date, they're unsure, but then they come back and they say, you were right. That person was amazing. We will only do it if we feel the client is Mm open-minded to meeting matches that we're excited about that might be a little bit outside of their comfort zone. Speaking of open-mindedness, when you or a matchmaker is evaluating a client and you see some sort of relationship red flag, maybe they're misogynistic, maybe... They have 
parenting issues. When you see that in a person, how do you address them with the client? We see it and mm -hmm. we definitely will have those conversations. So I actually just had one pretty recently where I'm matching this guy and I've gotten to, to know him well. And I can tell he's sort of intense, but then he's like a teddy bear. So he has great intentions, but he's a little bit rough around the edges. And I had to say to him, like, you're talking about women like stock options. <laughs> and like, we need to work on that because like, first of all, that won't land you a second date, but like, that's not really how you should be speaking about women. So if we see any red flags, we'll have those conversations with clients because part of our job is to, to help them become better daters. Mm -hmm. And we don't work with everyone. So if we are interviewing someone and, you know, they're rude or racist or like if there's something that like, we feel uncomfortable working with, we definitely won't talk about membership. Like we, we won't work with everyone. But if we do take on a client and we notice red flags, we'll have open conversations with the client. Yeah. Something that I always struggle with when we were talking a little bit earlier is like, how do you be your true self? with anyone, whether it's dating or whether it's in this matchmaking interview. And in the last series of the show, I interviewed the founder of a company who wrote dating app profiles. And he said the reason people have so much trouble writing these profiles is that because we're too close to ourselves, that we can't get an objective view of ourselves. During your interviews with clients, how do you get an objective view of a person to evaluate their compatibility with someone else? We get to learn a lot about them. You know, we ask them a lot of questions to understand what their you know, hobbies and interests are. And it's so true. It's so much easier for us to write about the client than for the client to write about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. When we're matching people, we write the bio about the client. And it's not their resume. It's how we felt meeting that client. So it's easier for us to, to vouch for the client and to pitch them than it is for them to pitch themselves. After the interview, how do you analyze who from your dating pool you should partner them with? Do you go through all the available options? Do you have like a checklist that you kind of see like, oh, these two would be compatible? How does that, how do you find those matches? So we'll start with the non-negotiables, whatever we came up with in that initial meeting. So anything that falls in the category of must-haves, deal breakers, they won't get a match outside of that criteria. Mm -hmm. So we'll make sure that the people that we're interviewing meet with the client is looking for on paper, but then we have to get a sense of their energy and their values and the way they talk. Like a lot of times it ends up being like a trigger word where we realize this person could be a great match. Or we might interview a match for one client and realize halfway through the interview, actually they're a better match for another client. Mm -hmm. So it's based on criteria. But then on top of that, it's personality and values and energy and attraction. We might interview 20 options before we send our client one. We're doing mm -hmm. all of that interviewing. And then anyone who we feel excited about will present to the client and they see photos, a bio. We tell them all about the match and why we selected them. Do you ever have a case that's the inverse where you, you see like, oh, I, I just talked to this wonderful woman. I have so many people I want to set her up with that I think she'd be really compatible with. How do you navigate a situation like that if it happens. Mm -hmm. And that definitely happens. So we match one at a time. So we'll pick the client that we think is the best fit for that match. And while they are dating, that match is locked. We cannot set her up with anyone else until we know what's going to happen with the original client. If mm -hmm. for some reason it ends up not being a fit long-term with that original client, then we'll have her as a match for another client. 
we won't ever set up a match with two clients at the same time. We really want people to focus one at a time. So a- after you find someone a match and you, you set them together, how is the service involved? Do you set up their dates? Do you give them recommendations for dates? Or do you kind of see how they would do on their own? We really try to make this feel like a friend is setting you up. We, we typically give one person the phone number. You know, it's based on what who the client wants to have the phone number. Typically, you know, if we're matching a man and a woman, we'll give the man the phone number. He will call and set up the date. We'll give ideas, but it's really up to them to set up the date and arrange it. We don't set up dates for the clients. It just, for us, it feels a little bit too forced. Mm-hmm. And then after the date, both parties give us feedback after they have to call the matchmaker and we have a handful of questions that we ask. Your company name is obviously three day rule based on the rule that you should wait three days before calling. Do you advise your clients in, okay, you should call call her or you should text him how they should reach out or it's entirely also up to them? We definitely guide them. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much miscommunication that happens through texting and you know, tone and some, everyone has different styles of communication. Mm-hmm. So we definitely guide them. We'll give them our suggestion on what to text and when to text. But, you know, oftentimes they go rogue and, and they do whatever <laughs> they want. But we're, we're definitely here to guide them through the initial stages. And we help them navigate the beginning stages of a relationship. So we'll set people up. They'll go on a first date. They give us feedback. They'll go on a second date, give us feedback. And we can be there as long as they want. Some clients after three, four dates will say, I got it. You know, I'll keep you posted. And others want us to be there throughout the first few months. So we are happy to. And I can tell you we've saved a lot of relationships by sticking it out with them and to help them navigate the beginning stages because it's hard not to sabotage. It's just not hard not to have miscommunication. So a great part Mm -hmm. about matchmaking is we know what's happening on both sides. And it's, so it's helpful for us to bridge the gap. Is there any point where you say, okay, I'll, let's take the training reels off. Is there almost, okay, you've been dating for a year. You don't need our, our advisement or will you just stay with the client as long as they want you to be around? Oh, we will get them to the finish line. So, <laughs> <laughs> your example, I had a client who was getting engaged and I was on the phone with her trying to help her get engaged. Like it was practically there, but she was doing some questionable things at the end where I just wanted to make sure everything happened. So most people don't want us involved, but if they are open to it, we'd love to stay involved just to make sure that they get there. Yeah. I, I could imagine a lot of people want the the reassurance. You were talking about you know, the initial ask in in setting people up. And I feel like there's a lot of noise in terms of how to do that. Some people prefer text. Some people will think it's really weird if you call them. Some people want it to be if you're dating in an app, in the app. How do you find most people like to be asked out? You're right. It's different. And different generations are looking for different things where some of our older clients really prefer a phone call while the younger ones prefer text. But overall, it should just be to schedule a date and then get to the date. We will say to our clients, you want to hop on a 45-minute call with your match? That was your date. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. we'll find that they'll do a 45-minute call and then the person's not interested in meeting them anymore. So it's best to just plan the date and then have a real conversation when you're on the date. 
There's just too much that can go wrong when you don't actually know the person ahead of time. It feels mm-hmm. a little bit pointless to have long conversations or long text exchanges. Just ask the person out, schedule the date. You can give them a couple of options if you want. Typically, we're suggesting drinks over dinner. Dinner just takes too long and you pretty much know at the appetizer mm-hmm. if you're interested or not. So for the first date, we suggest drinks. Or if you don't drink, you can have coffee or tea, but at a cool coffee shop or at a hotel lobby, like somewhere with more of a romantic vibe. And will you guys even go so far as to recommend conversation topics or even just conversation styles recommending, okay, keep it light, be jovial, tell nice stories or get into it. Talk about what you want and and your values. Do you do, you do any advising in that capacity? Yes, definitely. So typically we're suggesting people to keep it light on the first you know, date or two and to try to figure out what they have in common, talk about interests. They can bring up work, but as you mentioned with the teacher's story, it's best not to dominate the conversation talking about work. It's just very hard to have a romantic connection when that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So to keep it light and fun, what we call, we say don't baggage check. That means like don't come to the first date bringing all of your baggage. It's again, hard to get a second date when you're doing that. So we'll we'll help the clients. And then again, because we get that post-date feedback, we'll find out what happened on the date. And that's really helpful for us to, to guide them if they're covering a topic for too long or they get into a story about their ex. We have that information and we can help them. For sure. Do, doing a show like this, I have inadvertently become someone people go to for dating advice. And my advice on a first date is my same advice for if you're doing a job interview, which is before you go, this sounds maybe a little neurotic, write down like a list of stories that you think either present you in a good way or show your good attributes and think about how they're told. Because I'm inherently not a good storyteller. So think about how they have a beginning, middle and end and then kind of keep those in the back of your mind when they could be used and bring them up and start a conversation through there. That's great. We love that. And we definitely give that advice as well. Just to think of a few different sides to you and come up with a handful of stories that can showcase that. So instead of saying, like, I'm so funny, I just have a story (laughs) prepared that can illustrate that. Or I love to travel, you know, you have a travel story. So I think that's a great idea, especially in silences. And then also just to make sure it's a ping pong conversation, you share something and then you need to ask them so they can share as well. Yes, absolutely. What are some of the relationship success stories that you are most proud of? Honestly, there are so many of them, (laughs) but I think the ones that I love the most are the people who got married through us that would never have met each other or probably would have swiped past that person online. Mm -hmm. So as an example, there was a woman that I met years ago and she was pretty preppy, like would wear pearls and came from like a conservative family. And she asked me for a Jewish finance guy. And the more I talked to her, the more I realized she had a bit of an edge underneath. And I had someone in mind for her. And I said, I have this guy. I think you could be a great fit. He's not at all what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. He's not going to take you to the Four Seasons, but he'll take you to fun concerts and you'll go on a lot of great adventures. Are you open to it? She said, yes. So I paired them up. He has long hair. He's a rocker covered in tattoos. Mm -hmm. And they're now married with a baby. That's wonderful. So those are the stories that I love because it helps 
you know, I, I can't imagine she would have swiped right on him if they, if she saw him on an app and they're the perfect pair. Yeah. In those situations, they probably would have never met casually either. Exactly. So I love that. We have a story right now, a woman who is 71 and her match is 74 and they're adorable and traveling the world together. And their matchmaker's name is Quinn. So they reached out to her recently and said, every time we go to a restaurant, we cheers to Quinn. And Mm. they're just so adorable. There are so many. One of my favorite stories is just, it's kind of a matchmaker miracle story where we had this client who heard an advertisement on NPR and they asked if they could follow someone on their dating journey. And she Mm -hmm. responded and said, I'm working with three day rule. You can follow me on a date. So she was accepted and our job was to pair her one time and NPR was going to be at the dinner and film the date. So that's a lot of pressure for our matchmaker. (laughs) It's a lot. And also we had to find someone open to being filmed So we found this really great guy. He actually was a former client of ours and we set them up on the date and the date went well. They closed down the restaurant and for us, that felt like a huge win given the circumstance. But then a year later, they surprised us. They went back on NPR to announce they had gotten married. So it was a double win and they're the cutest. If people are interested in joining 3D Rule, there are a couple different ways to work with us. Mm-hmm. One is just to join the free database and be eligible to be matched with our clients. So it takes about two minutes. You fill out information and then you're assigned a matchmaker and we'll get to know you and what you're looking for. And you're welcome to stay in the free database. The other mm-hmm. way is to work with us as a client one-on-one with a matchmaker and that's where you're outsourcing your love life. So you know, there are a couple different ways that you can work with us, but the process is the same for signing up there you have it thank you to talia and aish for coming on the show today for more information on three-day rule and their services go to threedayrule.com if you have a story you'd like to share please email us at outofloveshow at gmail.com please subscribe to and review our show on apple podcasts spotify the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts out of love is a production of wewo media and is recorded at green street studios it is hosted and produced by me, Dan Casarella. The show is produced by Ethan Farmer, our producer. Aaron Bradley is our art director. The opening theme is Acolyte, and the closing theme is Toronto Mug, both written and performed by Slaughter Beach Dog. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay lovely. <laughs>